So we come to our Bible reading this evening, continuing our studies in First Peter, and it's found on page 1218, First Peter chapter 2, a little passage beginning at verse 9. Wonderful words. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray together. Father, we pray that as we come to look at your word, we'd hear you speaking to us. Father, we pray that these words of Peter in his epistles would come alive in our hearts and minds and that we would respond to you. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Who are you? How would you describe yourself? Not in terms of your height or your appearance, but really, who are you? What makes you tick? What makes you the sort of person you are? It's a question that's often asked and often interrogated. You'll be familiar, won't you, with that BBC TV series, Who Do You Think You Are? Where people, famous people, well-known people, trace back their family tree and find people who've, in their background and in their ancestry, who perhaps reflects something of what they are today. But it's a common experience of all of us to want to have that sense of identity and an intimate knowledge of our own being and who we are. We see it, don't we, in people who've been adopted, in that desire perhaps to find their birth parents and find out more about them. When last summer, last year when I was off work, one of the things I did was trace back the Charlton family tree. We got back to about 1740, just outside Ludlow, and then we ran into a halt. That was the Charlton bit. The rest of it, my Irish grandmother, sort of appeared to come from nowhere. My father's mother, well, we found her father, but he just seemed to pop up into the British census without any being before that. Peter, as he writes this epistle, 
and he writes these words, locks into that sense of what is our identity. Who are we really? What makes us who we are? What's our identity now? And as we look at this passage that we find on page 1218, it's a short passage, but it begins with four descriptions of identity. Because Peter writes in verse 9, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And as he latches onto these phrases, he doesn't just sort of dream them up out of thin air. He's, he's pulling them out in part out of the Old Testament. You see, there's a reference to Exodus 19, when God meets with Moses. And he says to Moses, and he tells Moses to convey these words to the people. And he says to Moses, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasure possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Similarly in Isaiah, the prophet writes, the wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owl, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. You see, Peter is locking into those themes of the Old Testament that God has a people. And he wants to define and describe the identity of those people this evening. So the first one is the sense that we're chosen. We all like to feel special, don't we? We all like to feel that we're the one being selected. You've all probably had that experience, you know, in PE lessons where you've got to get into teams and you're chosen and you're chosen. You go down order and there's some poor person left at the end that no one wants. And either team would offer him a free transfer to the other. Because you know they're going to be a liability. It's not like that. It's not an accident that we're here this evening. It's not an accident that we're Christians. We've been chosen. John Wesley described himself as a brand plucked from the burning. When the vicarage in which his parents and the family lived caught fire, when he was age six, he was saved. And he described himself in that sense, that God had chosen him and God had plucked him out of that fire to use for his purpose. It's not an accident that we're here. We've been chosen. Just as Jesus called and chose his disciples, he's called us. He's chosen us. It's not an accident. It's not like the lottery where we've happened to pick the six or eight magic numbers that have come up that week. God has chosen us and called us to be his own. The second thing he's called us to, or the second description, is that of being a royal priesthood. Priest to the king, the king's priest. You see, the priests in the Old Testament were those, weren't they, who stood between God and the people. The priests went into the temple and offered up the sacrifices that the people had brought. They discerned the will of God and communicated it back to the people. 
they were the intermediaries between the people and God. And Peter's saying tonight, as he writes these words, you are priests, a royal priesthood, priests to the king. You've got that direct relationship to God. You stand in there with direct communication. You've got that hotline to the Father. I was a bit concerned, a bit surprised, perhaps rather than concerned, to say that our evening that we held in June for our new parents joining the school, the chairwoman of the PTA stood up to encourage them to, to come along and join their events. And I was expecting to say it's great fun at the car boot sales. And uh, it's great fun when we, we do these different events and uh, there's good camaraderie and come along and join in. What she actually said was, it's really good because you get to meet the head and senior staff personally and you can say what you think to them. <laughs> now I have to say that wasn't quite what I, undoubtedly it's true I have to say, but it wasn't quite what I was thinking was the purpose of what they were for. But we all, don't we, crave that direct communication, that sense that we've got a hotline to the top table, that what we say matters, that what we think counts. It's part of that being and wanting of significance. And Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You've got that direct communication with the Father. You see, it was no accident, was it? That at the point that Jesus died, Matthew records in his gospel that the curtain that stood in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. A very symbolic gesture that now we could go in and have that direct communication with God. And that's where we stand. We've got that hotline. We can be heard. We're our own priests. We're part of that royal priesthood. The third thing, the third description that Peter uses is that sense of being a holy nation. There are some things that you can do by yourself. There are some things that you can't. Ballroom dancing being one of them. Being a nation, being another. You don't ever have a nation of just one person. Nation gives that sense doesn't it, of hundreds, of thousands, of millions. It gives that sense of a common purpose and a common identity. A common heritage and a common story. And we're part of that one nation. It's not just you and me by ourselves. We're part of a nation, of a people of God. But not just any old group of people, a group of people who've been called and who've been set apart for God's service. That's what holy means. Being sanctified, being made special and being set apart. And so we're part of that called nation, not by ourselves, as a part of that large group that has been called and been set apart to serve God. And I wonder this evening, do we feel part of that nation? Do we recognise that St John's is just one group in that nation of believers, which goes across the world, which goes throughout countries, And perhaps do we need to think more and more widely 
about who we are. But the fourth descriptor is that that we're a people belonging to God. Not in a way that a slave was owned by its slave owner at his beck and call, just instructed to do this, do that, but in the way that a dog or a pet is owned by their owner. Because what's the difference between a stray dog and an ordinary dog? They look the same. In many ways, they behave the same. But the pet dog has an owner, someone who feeds it, someone who looks after it, someone who cares for it. And that's us tonight, isn't it? We don't stand here as just people who've been just sent out and just left to get on with life. But we belong to God. We have him looking out for us and caring for us and watching over us. I used to work for someone who used to say, and she said it more than once, that you never really grow up until your parents have died. Now, ultimately, if you take that to you know, it's nonsense, isn't it? If your parents are 90 or 100 and you're sort of 70, I guess you have grown up. But there's also a sense, isn't there, that when your parents die, there's no one out there looking out for you in the same way. No one who's caring for you in the same way. No one who's watching out for you in the same way. And Peter's saying here, you're not like that. You're not orphans. You belong to God. He looks out for you. He watches over you. He cares for you. So those four descriptions of identity, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God is what we are. And it's what we are as a church, and it's what we're part of as God's people. But the second part of that identity is to say we've got a common history. And Peter describes it in terms of three negatives, or three contrasts rather than negatives, three contrasts, as he puts them together. He says at the end of verse 9, that you were called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And darkness represented their previous way of life. If you look back to chapter 1 and verse 14 on the previous page, it says, As obedient children, not conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And it's that same sense, isn't it? That darkness and ignorance presents that way of crashing around and not really knowing what you're doing. Trying to find your way in the dark and trying one dead end after another. And that's how we were. And Peter says, you've gone from darkness into light. Gone from seeking and trying and stumbling your way around, trying to make sense of things, tripping over things, making mistakes, to seeing direction and making sense of life and what's going on. We went on holiday this summer to Italy. And uh, we flew courtesy of Ryanair. And uh, we had all the um, grumbles that everyone else seems to have about Ryanair, not least that we landed at Pisa at 11 o'clock at night. 
which is hardly the most convenient time to get to your accommodation. And so we were in contact with the people who were staying, and it was about an hour or so from Pisa. And we said, you know, we'll arrive late. Is that okay? And we got this email back saying, I think you better stay the night in Pisa. I don't think you'll find the house in the dark. Well, I have to say that was an understatement. (laughs) It was pretty hard work to find the house in the light. And if I tell you that we were at the stage of counting the third tree on the left, on the path, you'll begin to understand. But it's that sense that in darkness, we can't see the way forward. It's frustration. It's ignorance. It's crashing around. And yet, that lightness brings that sense of God's plan and God's purpose. The word wonderful that is used here is in other versions translated glorious. And it has a sense of that anticipation of looking forward to when Jesus will return. And undoubtedly, as we approach that day, things will become clearer. Just like the rising or the, 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 the lightning of the dawn goes from black where you can't see anything to beginning to make out shapes to beginning to see things clearly. And Peter's saying that you've come from that darkness through this relationship that you have with God through his son, Jesus Christ, to being able to make sense of things and get a sense of direction and where you're going. So that first one, from darkness to light, is the first contrast. The second contrast we find in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. There's a reference here back to Hosea, and I don't want to dwell on it tonight. But a sense that once we are a random collection of individuals, now we're God's people. There was nothing before that put us together. But we've been drawn and brought into something, so that together we've now got a corporate identity. It's a bit like a mosaic, isn't it? You take a mosaic apart and all you've got is a lump of stones. They might have similar colour, but they just look like a random lump of stones, set of stones. You put them into the mosaic and they make something beautiful. And that's the excitement and the frustration of the church, isn't it? That out of these random, odd-shaped beings, you fashion something beautiful. That's the exciting bit. Frustrating bit is that some of us need to have a few corners chopped off us to make us fit in the space that's needed. And that's always bumpy. But when we're no people, we're now God's people. We now belong to him. We've got that identity with each other. We've got that identity in him. And that's the exciting thing. And how have we got that? Well, through the third contrast... Not because of what we've done, or because we've joined the right team, or we've signed up to the right thing, but because God has shown us mercy. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's through God's coming to us and demonstrating his mercy that we've been able to come from being distant, from being separate, in the darkness crashing around 
to be made into a people and a nation of his through his showing his mercy to us. You see, going through this passage and these verses is that reference back to the Old Testament and the people of Israel as the people of God. And Peter's saying, not that the Israelites and the Jews don't have a special place, but there's a different nation, a nation which has been brought together, the nation of those who belong to God. And he goes on in verses 11 and 12 to say that in the light of this, how then should we live? And I don't want to dwell a long time on this because there's, you know, we could be here all night and there's loads that you could say. But I just draw you to your attention as aliens and strangers in the world. This isn't our home. This isn't where we really belong. We belong to somewhere else. It's a bit like when you go on holidays, you've got your passport. That shows where you're from. That's where you feel at home. That's where they make the tea right and put the milk in at the right temperature. You're somewhere else they can try and do it, but they won't do it properly. That's how we are. We're here. We're playing our part. We're part of God's kingdom, but actually, we're aliens and strangers because we're passing through. But he goes on to say, in the light of these great things, how should we live? And there's two parts to it. To abstain from sinful desires and to live such good lives that even those who don't like you recognise what a fantastic person you are. Not because you're good or you're fantastic, because of what you're doing and your deeds glorify God. Are there people who don't like you because you're a Christian? I guess there are. Are they forced to recognise through what you do that you serve the Lord and give glory to him? That's what he's asking us. It's not expecting everyone to be on our side. There's a reality about it. But that people might see our good deeds and give glory to the Father. So this is our identity. So I go back again and ask you who you are. And I wonder this evening, if you find yourself seeking identity, you see, that desire to recognise who we are and to be have some sense of our being is a perfectly human reaction. It's why teenagers wear clothes that we don't approve of. It's why teenagers play music which you don't think fits that description. It's because they're seeking an identity. It's fundamental in us. And it's fundamental as we come as Christians to have a sense of our own identity, to belong to God, and instead of just feeling at sea and insecure, but have a clear view of who we are. And Peter gives it to us, doesn't he? He says you're chosen. He says you've got direct access to the Father. He says you're part of a large nation and you belong to God who looks out for you. And I think if you're seeking an identity tonight, 
that goes a long way to meet it. Because when you look for your identity, those are the things that you're conscious that you don't have. And if you go outside and you talk to people at work, talk to people who are perhaps your neighbours, and you ask them what they're looking for in life, it'll be things like relationships. It'll be things like being recognised. It'll be things like being listened to. And that identity, Peter tells us, is found through being part of God's people. The second thing I want to ask you tonight is, do you recognise that you're part of something bigger? Or are you trying to live your life as a Christian by yourself? You see, we live in a very individualistic time, don't we? Where personalisation is the key. Henry Ford, you'll know, is famous for saying, you know, you can have any Model T Ford in any colour you want, as long as it's black. If you've tried buying a new car these days, you know the colour is the least of your issues. It's what sort of seat, what sort of wheels, whether you want Bluetooth, whether you want this, that or the other, whether you want heated seats, whether you want a spare wheel or not. It's a very individualistic world in which we live. We look out for ourselves. We make our own success. And it's very easy to think is that as a Christian, we can live that way as well. That we don't need other Christians, that we perhaps don't need to go to church. Or if we do, it only needs to be occasionally, every now and then. But actually, what this passage tells us is that being a Christian is a community experience. It's not an individual experience. I have to say to you, as evangelicals, I think we're probably the worst at this. Because we say rightly that we've got to decide whether we want to follow Jesus or not. And you have to decide and I have to decide whether we want to do that. But having made that decision, we tend to think, well, we can carry on as an individual. Whereas actually what we see is a community experience. You're a holy nation, not a holy individual. You might be a holy individual, but you're part of that holy nation. And that's how Peter sees it. And I think sometimes we need to stop and think, and it's perhaps fitting that tonight is, or today is, back to church Sunday. Because it's about going to church that we reconnect with the people of God. And as we reconnect with each other in community, of God's people, then we reconnect with the Lord himself. See, I don't think many people, there are some, you know, I won't say there's no one, but there aren't that many people who go to church regularly and then suddenly decide not to become Christians. There are some. But I think there's an awful lot more people who stop going to church regularly and then just sort of cease to be Christians. Not intentionally, it just sort of creeps up on them and they lapse into not being a Christian. You see, being a Christian is a community experience. The holy nation. It's about all of us. It's not about just me. And in closing, the third question I want to ask this evening is, do you recognise that? Do you recognise that you're part of something big and great and wide? Or do you feel isolated and in a minority? And it's very easy, isn't it? Because we live in a country where church attendance is declining rapidly. We live in a country where Christian influence on 
political life, on, on the way of life and the way decisions are made, is declining. And it's very easy to think that we're on the back foot. We're a withering minority. And yet this passage reminds us that we're part of something big. We're not alone. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, remember Mike saying that the average Anglican is female and Nigerian. And I guess not many of us would have picked up on that. If we'd said Anglican, we'd have perhaps thought the Archbishop of Canterbury with his public school background. His sentiments have been of the establishment. And yet the reality is very different. The reality is global, multiracial, massive. We're part of it. You don't need to know the Charlton family very well to know that we support West Brom. And yes, we did beat Man United 2-1 yesterday. I will just mention that. But it hasn't always been like that, I have to say, for those of us who have been faithful to West Brom for a long time. And when the boys, our boys, were first starting to realise that uh, football was more than just kicking it around in the garden, that there was teams that you can support, somehow or other, they came to support West Brom. I'd always supported West Brom. And where we lived in Wiltshire at the time, there weren't any other West Brom supporters. They were moved to Lancaster, and I think there were even fewer. And I think probably, if you'd ask them, they probably thought there was the West Brom supporters were us and my uncle who lived in Bournemouth. And that was probably the entirety of it. And then one Saturday, we found ourselves in Birmingham at about five o'clock, driving past the West Bromwich Albion grounds, the Hawthorns. And they were absolutely astounded because pouring out were these people wearing West Brom shirts and West Brom scarves, and there wasn't just six of them. There were hundreds of them, and there were thousands of them. And suddenly they realised that there was more people than just the Charlton family who supported West Brom. And I wonder this evening, if that's where you are, that you're feeling like you're in that withering minority, that there's not many of us, that we're on the way out. Well, Peter says, lift your head up. Look around. You're part of that holy nation. Not a holy dying breed. A holy nation. And recognize and rejoice in it. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do we believe that? Or do we take it for granted? Or do we recognize that we're part of that holy nation? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have an identity as Christians in you, our Father. That we are that royal priesthood, that holy nation, that we've been chosen by you and belong to you. And Father, we thank you for the great richness of those phrases. But Father, we pray you'd help us to realise what it means in our lives. To lift our heads, to lift our hearts, 
to be thankful for this community and to see the place we have in you. Father, we thank you for this. In your name. Amen.